While we're continuing our, our study through the Gospel of Matthew, we're in chapter 7 this morning. We're going to be looking at the first six verses. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand and Richard will get one right to your seat so you can follow along with us. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 6 this morning. We're uh, quickly coming to the end of the Sermon on the Mount, chapters 5 through 7, and uh, uh, it's just been great, and um, I'm blessed by uh, just how the Spirit knows what we need to talk about on every Sunday when things come up, and so we're at a good place this morning. Matthew chapter 7, starting in verse 1, Jesus is speaking, and he says, Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite. First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. The title of my message this morning is The World's Favorite Verse. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to gather this morning, Lord, to be uh, your people and your word, knowing that your Holy Spirit is here to teach us, instruct us in all things, Lord. And you know exactly what we need to hear every Sunday when we come in, Lord. You have a word for our hearts, and we thank you for that. We pray your blessing upon our time together, Lord. We pray, Lord, if there's anyone that has not given their lives to you, they're not born again this morning, we pray that you touch their heart especially and they would see their need to repent and come to you today. So we thank you for our time together. We pray your blessing upon our children down in the children's ministry. Minister to them. We commit our time to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. It's interesting to me that there was a time when John 3.16 was the favorite verse. We all knew it. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It's now been replaced. Matthew 7, verse 1. Judge not that you be not judged. I'm going to make a few statements. Let's see if you have heard the same responses before. If I say homosexuality is a sin... Homosexuals need to repent of this sin in order to be right with God. What do you hear? Judge not, lest you be judged, right? If I say all premarital sex is wrong, two people living together outside of wedlock are living in adultery, what do you hear? Judge not, lest you be judged. If I say abortion is murder, it's killing of a human being, and those doctors who perform abortions, except for rare exceptions, are guilty of taking innocent human life, what do you hear? Judge not, lest you be judged. Or they'll say something like, well, who died and made you judge? Well, this brings up a good question. Is it ever right to pass judgment on the actions of others? Be careful how you answer that question. You might think that Jesus would have said, no, it's never right to judge another. Instead, Jesus says, it depends. There are times when you can judge and times when you cannot judge. These six verses that we have today have something very important to say about this matter of judging one another. Whether we admit it or not, we all judge 
Uh, and from time to time, some people have even made it their lifestyle to judge other people by their own standards. Well, let's look and see what Jesus has to say about it. If you're taking notes, we're going to see three things. Number one, the caution. Number two, the challenge. And number three, the counsel. Number one, the caution. Look at verses one and two. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. The word judge there is the Greek word krino, and it means to pronounce judgment. But it's more than that. It's a hypercritical evaluation that pretends to know the motive of a person when in reality you don't have all the facts. It refers to the acting of the part of a judge or to pass judgment on the words and deeds of another. It means a critical spirit that sees only bad in others. Let me give you an example. I read about an owner of a manufacturing plant who decided to make a surprise visit uh, to the shop. Walking through the warehouse, he noticed a young man just lazily, you know, leaning up against some packing crates, hands in his pockets. He's not doing anything. The boss walks up to him. He's kind of angry and says, just how much are you paid a week here? Well, the young man's eyes got rather big and he says, well, 300 bucks. Well, the, the boss pulled out his wallet, peeled off 300 you know, three $100 bills, gave it to him and said, here's the week paid. Now get out of here. I don't ever want to see you here in this place again. Without a word, the young man stuffed the money into his pocket and took off. The warehouse manager was standing nearby, staring in amazement. The boss walked over to him and said, tell me, how long has this, been guy, this guy been working for us? The manager says, oh, he doesn't work for us. He was just dropping off a package. So when Jesus says, don't judge... He's talking about looking at people and attempting to judge their motives, judge their hearts based on what you see in their lives. A better translation of Jesus' words would be condemn not lest you be condemned. The idea here is that the person judging presumes to know the condition of another person's heart and then sets himself up as judge, jury, and executioner all in one. That's the attitude that Jesus is condemning here. So when he says don't judge, that's the kind of judgment he's talking about, that harsh Self-righteous judgment, not knowing all the facts. Now I want to point out that there are three reasons we're told not to judge here. Number one, you're not the final judge. God is. God is. God knows everything you don't. So if you don't know a person's heart, how can you make an evaluation about a person's heart? It amazes me. How many people spout off opinions after opinions about things they've not researched? They just heard opinions of others thinking that it must be right if this person said it. But it's tragic. And it happens all the time. And sadly, we have seen it played out just this recent week on the news, on TV, on talk radio. The nomination of Judge Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. And what has gone on since then has been best described as a circus one person made an accusation against a man of integrity without any corroboration whatsoever, and suddenly the whole world is judge, jury, and executioner, and has condemned this man. Not only condemned him, but even more horrific stories were made up about this man. And you can just see the enemy working overtime to prevent this man from being elected to the Supreme Court of the United States. Now, why is that? Well, make no mistake about it. This is a spiritual battle. This is all about Roe versus Wade. All about it. This is about the shift in the Supreme Court uh, of the United States to no longer allow abortion to run rampant in this nation. 
This decision is about life and death. And I think we as Christians, we need to be praying like never before that this would be the time to now actually see the shift in the Supreme Court and see the stop of the murder of some 60 million unborn babies since Roe versus Wade was, was uh, settled. But again, people all over the country are making judgments. And I would say that we as a nation, we are more divided than we've ever been in history. But make, make no mistake about it, it is a spiritual battle that we are facing, that's happening. And we need to understand that how to fight spiritual battles. 2 Corinthians 10.4 For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down of strongholds. So we need to be praying for our nation, praying for those that are in leadership. And remember Proverbs 14.34 Righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. But people have, have been now the judge, jury, and executioner based off of what someone said about someone else. So we're not to judge. Why, number one, you're not the final judge. God is. He knows. Number two, you're not to judge because judgment is a boomerang. It's a boomerang. Now they work. You throw it out there to come back at you. Look at verse two. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with what measure you use, it'll be measured back to you. Maybe you've heard this, maybe you've heard the saying, what goes around comes around. When I hear that saying, I think of the karate kid. You remember when Daniel's son tries to, to get revenge on the boys from the beach and he puts the water in the boys in the bathroom. He's in the shower curtain and the costume and the dance at the school and, and, uh, he goes running out of the gym and, and says, what goes around comes around. Unfortunately for Daniel's son, he should have realized the same thing works against him as the boys caught up with him and beat the daylights out of him. And, uh, what goes around comes around for Daniel's son. What Jesus is saying here is that the person who sets himself up as a judge of others will himself face judgment someday. I think of the story in Esther, uh, chapter 7 of Haman, the man who wanted to wipe out the Jewish people altogether. He had gallows built to hang righteous Mordecai, but things backfired because of Queen Esther. And Haman himself ended up being hung on the very same gallows that he made for Mordecai. I think most of us remember that story. How about the story of a Canaanite king named, named Adonai Bezek? We looked at him in our study way back when we started the book of Judges a few months back. Now, Adonai Bezek was captured by the Israelites, and they cut off his thumbs and his big toes. It's a weird passage, okay? And you go, really? Is that in the Bible? Come on. Why did they write that? What's the deal with cutting off thumbs and toeses? Well, the idea of cutting off your thumb is that you would uh, take away the dexterity. The, the, you couldn't hold a weapon. You couldn't hold a sword. You lose that, your ability to fight. And cutting off the big toe, you lose your balance. Well, after they, they do that to Adonai Bezek, he says this in Judges chapter 1, verse 7. There are 70 kings of which I have cut off their big toes and their thumbs who were beggars under my table. And now the Lord has repaid me. So it seemed he made a practice of cutting off thumbs and toes, and now it's happened to him. So be careful. <laughs> With what way you judge and criticize others, the same will be shown to you. Romans fourteen twelve tells us, So then each of us shall give an account of himself to God. 2 Corinthians five ten. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. See, God's going to use that same yardstick to judge the critic that the critic used to judge others. That, that's a scary thought. 
And this brings us to a third reason why we shouldn't judge. We shouldn't judge because, number one, you're not the final judge. God is. Number two, judgment is a boomerang. Number three, judgment is hypocrisy. Judgment is hypocrisy. Look at verses three and four. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye? Hypocrite, he says. Now this also brings us to our, our second point, and that's the challenge. Here Jesus is challenging us with some humor by saying, why are you looking at that speck of sawdust in your own eye when you've got a telephone pole sticking out of yours? Or in the other's eye, when you've got a telephone pole sticking out of yours. He says your judgment is hypocrisy. You know, people are, are, are really typically good at spotting sins in other people's lives because we're so familiar with them in our own lives. And unfortunately, that makes us very judgmental. And the challenge for us is to not be so focused on what everyone else is doing or not doing, but to make sure we're doing what God has called each one of us to do. I mean, catch what Jesus is saying here. He says, why do you look at the speck? The reason you are seeing it is because you are looking for it. You have eyes for it. If you weren't looking at that other person, if you didn't have your eyes on that other person but on Jesus Christ, you would have never spotted the speck. What's interesting is in the original text here, there's two different words that are used. When it says to look at the speck, it means to gaze at intently. But when it talks about the beam in your own eye, glance at outwardly. Kent Hughes, uh, the great commentator, he said this, quote, We find it so easy to turn a microscope on another person's sin, but we look at ours through the wrong end of a telescope. We easily spot a speck of phoniness in another because we have a logjam of it in our own lives. Wrath towards the speck in someone else's life may come from this oppressed guilt over the same massive sin in our own lives. End quote. That's exactly right. So here's the reality. When I look at your life and I see your faults, I am, in fact, blind to the problems that dwell within my own heart. For instance, if my heart was as pure and as holy as I would like you to believe it is, then I would not be so focused on criticizing and condemning you for your failures. I would love, love you, pray for you, and try to help you. I would not be in the business of tearing you down, but I would be looking how I can restore you and build you up and encourage you. Again, the problem with judging others is that we're often guilty of the same or worse sins ourselves. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 2, verse 1. He says, Therefore you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself, for you who judge practice the same things. You see, none of us are anything to brag about. In fact, sometimes people that are nitpicking the sins in others are guilty of far worse sins themselves. There's an old poem, it's put this way. There's so much good in the worst of us, and so much bad in the best of us, that it hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. See, when you and I become so critical of others, and you have that critical eye, that critical spirit, you'll find little bits of speck in everyone's eye, everyone. But the point is, it's just a speck. And again, the problem wouldn't even be recognized if I had my eyes placed where we're supposed to be on the Lord and not on other people. Because if all you do is think about what someone else is doing, you'll become very critical about what they're doing. And most of the time, it's because you're envious about what they're doing. Oh, my neighbor, he just pulled into his driveway with that brand new car. How can they afford that? 
They don't need another car. What's wrong with the car they had? I'm the one that needs a new car. They just bought that car because they want to make me jealous. They bought this car because they want to get me angry. I know why they bought this car. No, you don't. You don't know their hearts. And besides, you're coveting. We should never judge what a person drives or what they wear or where they live or how they, you know, how much they have. For pastors, we should never, you know, look at a church down the street and have our eyes on them and what they're doing. Our focus needs to be on Jesus, knowing Him, making Him known. Because if I'm always cutting someone down, by default, I'm lifting myself up, or so I think I am. But what I, what I don't realize is I deserve the same cutting down in my own life as what I am inflicting on others. Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 11.31, For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. Here's the thing. If I judge myself, and if I really consider how much God has forgiven me of, then I will not be so quick to nitpick at other people's lives. Because I, I, I know, I'll see how much God has forgiven me of. The one who's forgiven of much loves, loves much. Now, I find that the most critical people I know, and maybe you find this as well, the most critical people that I know, they're the most miserable people. And it works the other way around. The most forgiving people I know are the most happy people. Let me put it this way. Gail Irwin once said this about marriage. He said, The happiest marriages I know have among them a common denominator. Both couples have a lighthearted sense of humor and are very forgiving. Contrast that to the turbulent marriages that are out there, and you'll find a common denominator in them that they're, they're critical, they're, they're criticizing, judgmental, tearing down spirit. Proverbs 14.1 teaches, The wise woman builds her house, but the foolish tears it down with her own hands. Wives, don't tear down your husbands. You're tearing down your own house. Don't be critical of your husband. You're being critical of your own house. You're, you're tearing down your own. You're judging your own. Husbands, don't be critical of your wives. Don't find fault in your wife. Because if you find fault with your wife and you're always constantly degrading her, she's not going to want to stick around for that. You're destroying your own life and house. It's an interesting uh, comparison I heard between a donkey and a thoroughbred. It says that in a conflict, the donkey will kick inwardly towards itself in a conflict, and a thoroughbred will kick outwardly towards the enemy when there's a conflict. So when you beat on verbally, and you're critical of, of your spouse, well, then you're just a donkey. You might as well just be kicking yourself. I don't have the liberty to use the old King James English word for donkey, but you get my point. Now let me give you one more example about the plank and the speck and then we'll move on. Understand that the, the speck and the plank are made up of the same material. One author writes, the plank actually causes the speck. So in other words, if there's no plank, then there's no speck. Here's the thing that, that I'm able to recognize as speck because it's made up of the same material as my plank. What creates sawdust? You know, when, when you saw through, through wood. Same material. You see, I know what a speck of sawdust is going to look like. I'm familiar with that material in my own life. I think a great illustration of this is cologne. You know, in high school, in my era, you show how old I am, we wore brute or high karate. Remember high karate? Now, we had Old Spice back then, too, but, but that's come back, I guess. But I had a full bottle of brute spilled out in the trunk of my 1972 Chevy Nova. I mean... The smell never came out. 
And today, if someone walks by me wearing that cologne, I know exactly what it is. <laughs> Man, I used to knew it all the time, use it all the time. I know what it smells like. I can point it out. Same thing is true of sin. Let's say you have the sin of pride, and, and I say, ooh, you have the sin of pride. I know that because I've doused myself in the sin of pride. I can smell it on you because I know what it smells like on me. And here's an interesting thing. They say that if you can still smell the cologne you put on in the morning, later on in the, in the day, then you put on way too much cologne. You know, many times there are people who get so used to the smell that they can't smell it anymore, and so I need to put a little more on, a little more, and they go on and on and on, and people are bathing it. I just want to say, stop, have mercy on us all. <laughs> but you see, what's happened is you become desensitized. I got that from Gabe this morning, first service. Gabe came up to me after that. I said, I got to use that. So if, if you're upset with that term, blame Gabe. But that's what happens. We get desensitized. In other words, your sense of smell has become acclimated with the scent. Man, what a great illustration that is to sin. The Bible says our consciousness becomes seared as that of a, a hot iron. We become used to it. And so desensitized by our own sin that we can't smell our own lives anymore. And here comes this unsuspecting brother or unsuspecting sister in Christ and they're wearing just a little bit of Ralph Lauren pride for men. A little bit of Ralph Lauren pride for women. They come up to you and, and you go, whoa, I can smell you, man. You have this sin all over you. Why? Because we become so desensitized to the sin in our own lives, but man, we are really good at pointing it out in other people's lives. We don't see it on ourselves, but on them it's horrible. Reminds me of a story I shared a while back about some fraternity brothers who put Limburger cheese very gently under a brother's mustache while he was sleeping. He woke up an hour later and said, this room stinks. He walked into the hallway and said, this hall stinks. He walked into the living room and said, this living room stinks. Then greatly perplexed as to where the smell was coming from, he walked outside and exclaimed, the whole world stinks. And yet the problem was right under his nose. That's how sin is in our lives. So easy to see the sin in everyone else's life, it's even easier for us to rationalize our sin, blame it on someone else. And the problem is, once we sniff out that sin, we want to point it out. Jesus says, don't do it, don't even think about it, don't go there. You know why? Because you're blinded by your own sin. You can't see it. It's like you can't smell it. And because of that, you, you, how are you going to perform surgery and remove that sin, especially from a brother or sister's life? You can't. And if you try, Jesus calls you a hypocrite in verse 5. Your judgment is hypocrisy. It means two-faced. You're, you're acting out a part. It, it was used as an actor. So, is that it? Are you saying, I can't Judge, even if I uh, see a speck in my brother's eye. Well, not exactly. Jesus gives us an answer. And that brings us to our third point, the counsel. Look at verse 5. Jesus says, First remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. The counsel, the word from the Lord that he gives us this morning concerning judging is this. In order to be able to help a brother or a sister in the Lord with true constructive criticism, I must first repent of my hypocrisy. I must remove that plank from my own eye, and then once I've done that, not only will I see clearly, but then I'll be able to help the other person out that needs that speck taken out of them, them, their eye. I don't know if you've ever gotten a speck in your eye, you know, a piece of dust or something in your eye, but it's painful. 
and it feels huge. I mean, it feels like it should be the size of a dime, you know, but it's just a little speck. And, and, and you certainly don't want just anybody trying to get it out. I want someone I trust, you know, can get that speck out. Not someone to go, oh, I can get it, you know, and poke their finger in my eye. Someone that can see clearly. And if you have dealt with your own problems, then I feel safe with you addressing my faults and you helping me with, with the speck that's in, in my eye, with my sin. But I'm not going to give you the opportunity to minister to me if you yourself have a plank in your own eye because you're just being a hypocrite. And if you're a hypocrite, I cannot, re- cannot receive from you or feel safe with you ministering to me. Let me tell you, as a pastor, that's a huge responsibility. I can't stand up here and tell you, man, you need to love your wife as Christ loved the church if I'm not loving my wife as Christ loves the church. I can't. That's why James tells us, let not many among you desire to be teachers because you're going to be judged by a much higher standard. Because when you minister to people, you're standing on holy ground. Your shoes are off and that plank better be gone out of your eyes so you can see clearly. Better make sure there's no hidden sin in your life. But the good news, when you confess your sin to God and you admit it before the Lord, you're actually helping in the process of restoring other people who have similar struggles and difficulties, situations. That's the first step in helping others. It's for you to confess your own sin before God. David certainly had problems, had some sin issues in his life. But he wrote this psalm that perfectly describes what he's done. It's Psalm 51. He writes this in verses 10 through 13. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Catch this, verse 13. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Once I make that confession of my sin, humble myself before the Lord, that's the first step in the restoration process. I remove the plank out of my eye. Then, as David says, I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. You see, there are some occasions mentioned in the Bible where Christians are called to exercise judgment over others. To be discerning, not condemning. In fact, look at verse 6 now of Matthew chapter 7. We read, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Well, in order to do that, we have to do some judgment here. Jesus is calling us to judge here. Now, when you read about a dog here, don't think of a pet dog. In those days, people didn't have pet dogs. Dogs were scavengers, and they carried diseases, and they ran around the city. Dogs and pigs at that time were considered unholy. Now, oftentimes, you know, the Scriptures refer to a person as dogs or pigs. This is one who, who, who's, who's so filthy as to trample the truth of the Word of God underfoot. They pay no attention to it. So what is Jesus saying here? He's saying, we, yes, we must discern where people are at and not give the precious gospel truth to those who are just going to mock it and despise it. When people do that, they're behaving unclean, undiscerning, violent dogs and pigs. We're called to discern such people. So there's a balance. Jesus says, don't judge critically, self-righteously, hypocritically in a way that accuses the motive of another person. At the same time, you need to have discernment. You need to be loving. You need to be forgiving. 
Sadly, some people think to be a real Christian means you just need to love everyone and accept everyone and you're tolerant of everything and, and never register an opinion. And we just should sit back and all, you know, put arms around each other and sing kumbaya and sway back and forth with one another. Oh, this is great, kumbaya. That's not it. That's not what a Christian is. Because that actually is a contradiction to what we read in other passages of the Bible. People say, well, Jesus was such a, this great humanitarian, loving and caring and sharing. Yes, he was, absolutely. absolutely. But he was also a revolutionary. Jesus confronted people. He had some choice words to say to the religious hypocrites of his day. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you whitewashed tombs. That's pretty tough. You brood of vipers, you slimy snakes. Oh, wait, 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 Jesus, judge not, lest you be judged, Jesus. No, it fits perfectly. Jesus is saying, judge with righteous judgment and discernment. Jesus was right on the mark. So the balance is to be loving and forgiving, but by all means be discerning. And when confrontation is necessary, speak the truth in love. That's what Paul tells us in Ephesians 4.15, we're to speak the truth in love. That's what we do with people. We, we love. You know, if you're going over, maybe you're going to go out somewhere with a friend, you know, and you go pick them up and, and you're going to go get some food and, and you see what they're wearing. And you're going, okay, you're going out like that publicly? I don't know. Maybe there's a big stain on the shirt. I'm probably just talking about guys because, guys, we just pick up what shirt's hanging there on the, on the chairs. You go, we don't even look at it. We put it on and go out. And you go, oh, I don't know if you should be wearing that, you know. Why don't you get, you, know, you need to change, you know, put, put something else on. Or maybe... You're eating dinner and, and, and there's a piece of food stuck in their teeth. Have you ever had that? Notice when that happens? You just find yourself looking at that piece of food in between their teeth. And they're totally unaware of it, right? They're just talking away. And all you can see is, is that the piece of food. You can't hear a word what they're saying. And you think, well, should I say something or should I not? And you keep looking at it until you can't take it anymore. Hey, buddy, you got some food stuck in your teeth. Or worse yet, you announce it to the whole world. Hey, everybody, he's got some food stuck in his teeth. Now you wouldn't do that because you're friends, but maybe you would do that because you are friends. I don't know the level of your friendship. but So what about if there's sin in their life? Are you, are you just going to give that a pass? Or are you not going to confront them when it could be deadly? Proverbs 27.5 says, Open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. That's a powerful verse. Open rebuke is better than secret love. How dare you say you love someone if you're not willing to tell them when something is wrong in their life? If you really love them, open rebuke is better than secret love. The the kisses of an enemy are deceitful. You know, there are people that will kiss up to your face, but they'll stab you in your back. But a true friend will stab you in in front instead of the back. (laughs) They'll say to your face, you know what? I love you. And because I love you, I'm going to tell you right now for your own good because I care about your soul. That's what a Christian does. Yes, we as believers are to make judgments. When someone says, well, doesn't the Bible say judge not unless you be judged? Your response is, yes, it does. But I don't think you understand the meaning of that statement. Because the, the reality is we as Christians are to make judgments. We make them every single day. We're to judge. So don't tell me not to judge. I'm going to judge, and you're going to judge, and we're supposed to judge. In fact, 1 Corinthians 6, 2 says, Don't you know that saints will judge the world? And if the world be judged by you, are you unworthy to judge even the smallest matters? Are you unworthy? 
You see, 1 Peter 4.17 says, For the time has come for judgment to begin at the house of God. And if it begins with us first, what will be the end of those who do not obey the gospel of God? We need to make judgments. What is a right and a just judgment? It's an evaluation. It's an evaluation. We use them every day. You go to a street corner, you're walking around, you look both ways, no cars are coming. Making a judgment, it's safe to go, it's safe to cross the street. We make judgments about people. I don't know if this person's on this level. Should I do this? Should I accept this or not? You know, and because people out there, they want to rip you off. They want to steal from you. They, you know, they, you know and these are things we do. And the Bible says we need to be very careful because we are living in the last days. And one of the signs of the last days is there would be an increase in false teachers leading people astray. Just because someone stands up waving their Bible and says, thus says the Lord, doesn't mean you should believe them. You need to take everything they say and try it according to what the Bible says. We are to make judgments like that. We are to make evaluations. In fact, John says in 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So it's incorrect to say that Christians should never judge. The truth is Christians should judge, Christians must judge, but we must do it the right way way. Now one more thing before we close. There is a danger in becoming really hypercritical to the point where you can't enjoy your walk with the Lord because all you're doing is looking at the specks in other people's eyes. And you may not have a plank out of your own eye, but you're just looking for all those specks. And some people really miss the distinction between discernment and condemnation. And they elevate fault-finding to a ministry. Maybe they call it a discernment ministry as if they were doing the church a favor, doing society a favor, doing their spouse a favor by making their goal to find out what's wrong with everything and letting everybody else know what's wrong with everything. Be careful. That's a real joy robber. God has not called us, as Pastor John Corson has said, to be sin sniffers and fault-finders. He's called us to live a life of joy. J. Vernon McGee has made a great statement about this. He says this, and I quote, The only exercise some Christians get is jumping to conclusions and running down others. Yes, yes, we are quick to jump to conclusions, quick to believe the worst instead of the best in the person. Jesus says we shouldn't do that. Listen, there, there are several reasons why people tend to judge and tend to criticize. Let me give you six of them that we need to be aware of, and then we'll close. Number one, when we criticize, criticism boosts our own self-image. It boosts our own self-image. Pointing out someone else's failures and tearing him down makes us seem a little bit better, at least in our own eyes. It adds to our pride, it adds to our ego and self-image. Number two, criticism is often enjoyed. There's a tendency in our human nature to take pleasure in hearing in sharing bad news and reveling, reveling in the shortcoming of others. Have you heard about so-and-so? Can you believe that they did this? Oh, and, and, and we get enjoyed there. Number three, criticism makes us feel that our own lives are better than the person who failed. Again, this goes back to building up our pride. Number four, criticism helps us justify the decisions we have made and the things we have done throughout our lives. See, we, we, we rationalize our decisions by, by pointing out the failures of others. Yeah, I may have done that, but, but they are so much worse than what I have done. Number five, criticism points out to our friends how strong we are. 
gives us good feelings because our rigid beliefs and strong lives are proven again by our brother's failure. Oh, look, look, how, look how strong I am because I would never do something like that, that what they did. Finally, number six, criticism is an outlet for hurt and revenge. We feel the other person deserves it subconsciously, if not consciously. We, we think, oh, he hurt me, so he deserves to hurt too. So we criticize the person who's failed. Listen, you and I, we are not in a position to see the heart of a person. And you are not in a position to bring final judgment on a person. Condemn not lest you be condemned. Our objective is to never condemn, condemn and put down. It's to help. It's to restore. It's to lift up, to build up, to encourage. It's to point people to Jesus Christ. I want to close with this story. There's a lady at an airport who bought a book to read and, and a package of cookies to eat while she waited for her plane. Well, after she had taken her seat in the terminal and began to read this book, she noticed that the man sitting one seat away from her was fumbling to open up a package of cookies on the seat between them. While she could hardly believe her eyes that a stranger would just open her bag of cookies and eat them. Well, he took one and ate it. Well, she was hot. She was steamed. She reached it in the bag and took one and, and ate it as well. And the man didn't say anything. Well, he reached over and he took another cookie. This woman thought, well, well, to herself, she wasn't going to let him eat all of her cookies. So she took another cookie. When they finally got down to the, the last cookie, the man reached to the bottom of the bag, broke the cookie in half, gave her half and, 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 and ate it, and, and, and glared at the woman, got up and left. This lady could not believe the nerve of this man. She was thinking to herself, how, how fresh, how arrogant he was. Soon the announcement came to board the plane. Lady got on the plane, still hot and bothered at the audacity of this man, sat down, buckled her seatbelt, reached into her purse for a tissue, and there was her bag of cookies. Listen, as we close, here's the invitation. Have you been guilty of passing judgment on other people because they do not live like you do? Has the Lord spoken to your heart about this matter? If He has, you need to come to Him and make it right and get the log out of your eye. Confess it to the Lord. If we confess our sins, God is faithful. He's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Have you been judged unjustly by others? Have you forgiven the one that's done that to you? You need to. You need to. The Lord is open to your prayer. Have you come to the Lord to find forgiveness of your sin and to be born again? If you have, then we need to live like it. We need to live like it. If you have not, then you need to do so this morning. You need to give your life to Jesus Christ. And as soon as service is over, the elders will be up front. I'd love to pray with you and give you a Bible and let you know what it means to follow Jesus Christ. Help us keep our eyes on the Lord. Focus on Him. Discerning, but not condemning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, that Your Word has given us instruction to apply to our lives. And we do right now pray, Lord, for our nation. I pray for this, uh, the next Supreme Court justice, Lord, the, the, the workings of all of this, Lord, that you would bring about a change, Lord, that we would see Roe versus Wade reverse, abortion uh, halted in America, if not slowed down radically, Lord. We, lo- we recognize, Lord, there's a spiritual battle going on, and we pray for our country. Lord, we, we pray for ourselves, Lord. We recognize within all of us there's that, that uh, tendency to have that plank sticking out of, of our eyes, Lord. Help us to remove that, confess it to you, humbly come before your throne. 
Find that forgiveness. And then, Lord, we're able to help others, others that are struggling and, and others that need help, Lord, to be in that place, to be able to be used by you to help restore and encourage one another. That's our prayer, Lord. And finally, Lord, if there's anyone here that has yet to give their life to you, we pray, Lord, that they would wait no longer. They would just surrender their hearts this morning to you. Thank you for this time. We give you all the praise and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.